everybody. Scott Bowden and Brian Last right along ringside and ready to go with another big day of Kentucky Fried Wrestling. And this week on the KFR podcast, we are going to continue our look at the last sellout at the Mid-South Coliseum by taking you back days later to Saturday, March 1st, 1986 and the shocking events that unfolded live on Memphis TV. That's right, Scott. Not only will we be sharing classic audio, but also we'll be talking to the key man who made the angle work on a personal level, Jeff Jarrett, a member of the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2018. And it's an honor for us to have Jeff on the show. Uh, Brian, as you know, I've watched Jeff from the very beginning, uh, and it all started with this great TV angle, a rather auspicious beginning for the man who would become WCW World Heavyweight Champion and now a member of the WWE Class of 2018 Hall of Fame. We'll be right back after this important message. Faded jeans. Broad shoulders. And blonde hair. Wow. Now that's a poster. To receive your Jeff Jarrett poster, send $4.95. That's right, only $4.95 plus a dollar shipping and handling to CWA Jarrett Poster, P.O. Box 396, Paulsboro, New Jersey, 08066. And we are back on the KFR podcast. And as I said, we are going way back today to March 1st, 1986. Uh, It started off like just any other Saturday morning. I had my Captain Crunch cereal... I watched some cartoons and then kind of with, uh, you know, a little half-heartedly, I turned on the Memphis Wrestling Show. Now, my enthusiasm had dipped, of course, because uh, Jerry the King Lawler had lost a loser-leave town match. Well, it was a loser-leave town match for him. Now, a lot of people have gotten this stipulation mixed up. It wasn't a loser-leave town match for Dundee. However, Dundee did put his hair at stake along with his ex-wife. Of course, uh, on TV, they were portrayed as still being together. Bev Dundee had her hair back on the line, which carried a lot of weight in the territory because those two actually had had their head shaved previously by Lawler back in 77. Uh, this was the the big uh, payoff to the memorable, memorable feud that really put uh, the Lawler-Dundee rivalry on the map. And as Lawler said, every day for about six months, the Dundees had to wake up looking at each other like a couple of cue balls. Uh, so... Again, not a loser leave town match for Dundee, but the King did put his place of residence on the line. Uh, now, the plan was to uh, have Lawler lose this match. Uh, he had already reached a deal to work some dates for Polynesian Pro Wrestling in Hawaii. And uh, his wife, Paula, was going to go with him. And they were going to have kind of a working vacation. But the crowds dipped so badly that they had to call an emergency angle, something that Jeff Jarrett was not even aware of until he got to the studio that day. And actually, a lot of people didn't even know that this classic angle was about to unfold, which adds to the realism of it all. We'll hear Lance and Dave, as we've never heard them before. Uh, This angle really brought out the best in everyone. So you have the setup. Bill Dundee and Buddy Landell have been running roughshod over the area. They entered the ring against Jim Jameson, who we had on the show last week, and his hapless partner, David Johnson. With special referee, well, not special referee, but uh, he is assigned to this match to help learn the ring ropes, Jeff Jarrett. David Johnson helping Jim Jamison back up on the ring apron. Trying to get the referee to back Dundee up. He does not back up. He drops an elbow just as Jamison comes through. And And Jim Buckle there. Dundee goes after Johnson over in the corner. 
Boy, he nailed him, knocked him right off the ring. And Dundee right back on Jameson, tags Buddy Landell. Drops down on Jameson. Coming around to the four-minute mark where, what, three and a half minutes? That was a count of three. That's it. Yeah, we were at uh, three minutes, 36 seconds, and that is it as Landell got the three count on him. Dundee and Landell celebrating a victory here, an overpowering victory, I might add, over Jim Jameson and David Johnson. They were, uh, uh, no excuse in that. Buddy Landell, they beat the stew out of him. Now Landell and Dundee are showing what big men they are. Oh, Johnson, throwed over the top row. Hey, come on. Landell, it's just attacking the referee. That'll cost you. Jeff Jarrett refereeing this match, and Landell just landing. There goes Jamison out of the ring. Here comes Jerry Jarrett, Jeff's dad, in, and he nails Dundee. Nails Buddy Landell and right back at Dundee. This is Jerry's son that was refereeing. Uh-oh, Landell got him from behind. And Dundee slams him with a right, puts him down on the deck. Come on, this thing's getting out of hand now. God, Dundee's going for his eyes, Dave. He's only got one good eye in there. Come on. one good eye and they go after it and start gouging in the eye that's the sickest thing i ever saw i'll tell you one thing that is absolutely ridiculous when guys something's got to be done about guys i've had enough people and i know you have too dave say are you guys just going to let dundee take over the entire program and the answer to that is no something's going to be done about it because I'll tell you one thing, I know Marlon's going to do something, Jerry will do, and I can guarantee you this is one place I'm not objective about the thing. It's ridiculous. It's bad enough when they come out here and do some of the things they do to, to like Jameson and Johnson. Sure, they're their opponents. You go in there, you beat them and that, but you don't start beating them around. And then you jump on a kid just out of high school like that. Then his dad comes out and tries to protect him naturally. And the next thing you know, they're in there digging at his eye, the only eye. He's got one bad eye. And they're digging at the only good eye he had. Something's got to be done about that. That is sick. Right. Sick, well, sick. Uh, uh, tell you what, we're going to be back. We've still got more matches to go here. We're going to be back with more in just a moment.
we still got a lot of show to go, a lot of things happening on there. They're checking Jerry's eye out right back there now. We've got Falk and, uh, and Eric. Here they come. There they are, Tommy Rogers, Bobby Fulton, the Fantastic. Fantastic. Don't start the match. Oh, oh, Jerry, hold on, hold on. Hold it, referee. Jerry, you better better get back there. I don't think you're ready to be out here. Fans, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, God. <laughs> we can talk about it later, Jerry. You don't need to do it right now. I mean, hey, you did whatever you could. Listen. Savage guys come out here and start going after the eyes. That's the important thing. Let's worry about that now. Jeff is okay. He's going to be all right. Let's, let's go. Okay. Yeah, let's let's go on with the match, okay? All right. All right, referee Jerry Calhoun up there. We're gonna go on. All right, bell sounds, and here we go. The Fantastics going against Tony Falk and Keith Eric. That's Bobby Fulton in here. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, oh, hey, re- hold it, hold it, just a minute, referee. Hold it. Can, can we stop just for a minute? Eddie Marlin. I'm going to tell you something. Jerry Jarrett's been in my family for a long time. He's a leader. He knows what to do in any circumstances. This is the first time that I've ever seen him in this situation. They tried to put out his one good eye. When he got his eye put out, he didn't cry about it. He didn't tell very few people, but I knew about it. They beat up my grandson. They put him out. Jerry don't know what to do, but I know what to do. He's the leader, and when he's around, I'll say, what do you want to do, Jerry? And he'll tell me. But he's not here to tell me, and I know what to do. It's one man that I know of that I can put in there with Dutch Mantel, and they can take care of those two guys. And that one man is Jerry Lawler. I don't care about the contract, Bill Dundee. You can sue me. You can sue the company, you can put us out of business. But Jerry Lawler, I'm going to go get him on the phone right now. And if I can get Jerry Lawler to come here, he will be against Dundee and Landell. Now, I'm going to call him on the phone, and if I can get him, he will be here. All right. Contract or no contract, Eddie's going to try to get him. We'll, We'll bring you up to date on that. All right, the match is underway again. So as you can tell, not only uh, Lance and Dave at the top of their game, uh, but Jerry Jarrett comes out and he does that that tear-soaked interview with Lance saying how, you know, he just couldn't protect his own son. He's not sure what he's going to do. And then as he leaves, then Eddie Marlin comes out and with Eddie's voice quivering and his uh, just you can just tell he's just full of emotion. He's really shook up. And he's saying, you know, Jerry Jarrett's always been the leader of this family. He can't make a decision right now, but I can. I'm bringing back Jerry Lawler. You can sue me. You can do whatever you want, but he's coming back because he's the only one who can stop this. Wow. Just tremendous television. No wonder that more than 11,500 people packed the Mid-South Coliseum, supposedly with another 2,000 people turned away on March 3rd, 1986, just two days later, which was about a, I think it was about a 75% increase in attendance from the previous week. 
The promotion kept all the heat on the heels for the next several weeks, highlighted by a Texas tornado death match uh, that went 28 falls with Jerry Lawler, Dutch Mantel, and Bill Dundee and Buddy Landell. Uh, Saturday mornings, Landell and Dundee really took it to a very personal level even further with Lance and Dave. Uh, Lance refused to interview the dastardly duo, causing them to set up their own set at ringside in one of the most memorable angles ever, the Bill and Buddy Show. Let's go to that clip now. No. You know better than that. I have no intention of coming over there. You want a mic? There's a mic right there. Well, we figured you wouldn't do that. We figured you wouldn't talk to us. Well, you ain't going to talk to anybody all day long. Just don't be a waste sport. Because we figured you'd be too chicken, Russell. I, uh, I, uh, my curiosity is up. I got to admit that. It dressed in suits and, and the whole thing. Dundee and Landell. What is this? Sam Hill, do you guys think you're going to do with that? The Bill and Buddy show. Bill, <laughs> well, Budro, we need us a bell. I ain't going to hit you, Russell. I don't even like you. Hey, fine. You want to, go right ahead. You got five years of your life to spend. We need you a microphone, Budro. Don't go away. What, is, you, Bill? what is all of the... Just a little bit better, I believe, Bill. I believe your arm's a little bit bigger than Joe's. Now, Joe's strong. We're not knocking him, but he's strong. We'd be the last people in the world to knock anybody, Bill. You know that. Old Garmin looked like he just went into a brick wall. Good legal move there. Good legal move, Joe. That was it, brother. Very good. But, no, the only guy in professional wrestling that hits harder than Joe Duke, I believe, is you. And you, don't forget that one punch uh, Jeff Jarrett suffered. Remember that, Bill? One punch Dundee, yeah, baby. Yeah, one punch Dundee. Don't never face one time on television. That's right. We sat. He's crippled old dead, but one eye came down trying to help me. <laughs> hey, we got our own problem. Now, this is trailer. I believe this is trailer. I think another another good scientific move off Leduc. Well, I don't think that's going to work, kid. 
you doesn't throw a bad punch, does he? Good. We taught him well. We taught him. Oh, now, that was a judo chump, but I believe he's trying to get a little bit of the nature boy in him now. But it was a good chump, and we're going to give him that. But it ain't hey, no Lance nature Brown, boy, baby. Lance Russell and Dave Brown get paid for this? They actually get paid for this, Bill. Hey, look at them eyes on Joe. I don't think anybody's home up there. That elevator don't go all the way to the top with you. Yeah, but I told well, I saw him. It ain't nobody home, baby. Oh, now, we got to give him credit there, but That was a good drop kick from a 285-pound monster. Very good drop kick. Bill, you think by looking in his eyes he'd kill his own mama, don't you? For a quarter, for a quarter, brother, for a quarter. We'd do it for cheaper than that, wouldn't we, baby? Very good, Joe. We ain't being biased, but I believe this is a bad oh. Scientific move there, but oh, scientific. Yeah. We gotta fit that one into our repertoire, Bill. Well, I got we gotta give them two kids A for effort or G for guts or something, because just to get in there with him is something. That's exactly right. I believe he's just gonna make LeDuc mad. I think it, well, I don't know, they're putting on a pretty good show, but no. But you and I, I believe you and I would have both knocked out by now, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Bill, we could have beat him in five seconds. Well, you, you got to give the boy... Oh, I think they made a mistake. I think they made a mistake. Bye-bye. Well, what's happening now? Good right. Good right. we got to give him credit there, brother. It was a good right, Budro. He wasn't no superstar, though, right? No, and it was no nature boy, but, you know, for a big old dumb Canadian, he ain't bad, though. Hey, baby, there, well, ain't, there ain't a Canuck out there that cannot do the nature boy in the Canuck. superstar, <laughs> Is that something you eat or what? Oh, now he's pretty strong. Bad oh, my God, look, 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 look. Oh, oh, I believe that boy's dead. Oh, yeah, well, that boy. I guess we, I'm oh, going to ring it, Calhoun. I'm going to ring it. I know what to do. What for? The boy jumped over the top rope. What's wrong with you? Anyway. Come and get this garbage out of here. We gotta interview Joe LaDuke. Get the janitor in here and sweep his puke get up the off the janitor floor. In here, brother. Over the top, Joe. It was good too. It's dead. Joe. Come on over here, Joe. That was very good, Joe. Very You've got to be the strongest guy in professional wrestling. Budro, I don't think Budro has ever seen this, but I have. You know what this is, buddy? I don't have any idea. Joe puts one. Oh, look at Here comes Eddie Marlin in the troops. Get the garbage out of here, Marlin. Bag of potatoes. <laughs> Get a whisper in this sweet man puke off the floor. All in country, boy, and muscle head. You like to pull some on me? You like to pull my arms apart? Well done, them farmers! And everybody just think they're strong! Just come on and take some of your dirt! All right, you know what he's going to do, brother? He's going to take ten guys, and anybody that wants to come down there and challenge him this week and pull them apart gets $500. Well, Budro, we're in charge of the show. I guess we take us a little break. We'll be right back.
Wow, you can't tell from the audio there, but Zola Duke just dropped this poor jobber on his head. Uh, and afterward, he's uh, doing the uh, the interview there with Bill and Bunny. He's like, sack of potatoes! Good God Almighty. Joe LaDuke. Nobody played crazier than Big Joe LaDuke. Uh, that would also be the catalyst uh, for Joe LaDuke turning babyface and forming an unlikely duo with uh, Jeff Jarrett down the road. Because uh, during the commentary, Bill and Buddy were knocking the big lumberjack, which was not a good idea. When we come back, we'll be speaking to Jeff Jarrett and get his thoughts on this angle and his rather rude introduction to Memphis Wrestling. Right after this. This is the animal. Uh. And this is the Minolta office system with TLC, the type and learn concept that makes it easy to train even an animal. He's already typing neat letters. He's got a firm grip on word processing, and now he's tearing up the computer. Well, Mr. Animal, did we prove our point? Yeah, everybody ought to have one. I'd listen to him. The new PCW-1 easy-to-learn office system, only from the mind of Minolta. And we are back on the Kentucky Fried Wrestling Podcast. Our first guest this week is a former NWA and WCW World Heavyweight Champion, Along with the late, great Owen Hart, he was one half of the WWE World Tag Team Champions. A former WWE Intercontinental Champion, he infamously negotiated one of the best payoffs ever for an IC champ in his final defense for the company. He is one of the founders of TNA Wrestling, which helped prepare, uh, propel the careers of performers like AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. But you may know him best as a former USWA World Champion, and a former USWA World Tag Team Champion with partners such as Jerry Lawler and Robert Fuller. He was the subject of one of the best-selling posters ever offered on Memphis Television. He is the son of legendary promoter Jerry Jarrett and one of the upcoming inductions into the WWE Hall of Fame Class of 2018, ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Jarrett. Scott, what a <laughs> rousing introduction, and I don't believe... Anyone has dropped the, the knowledge that you have. Uh, I think I might have been the only poster sold on Memphis TV. Could that, <laughs> that, could, could that, could that be accurate? <laughs> I th- you know what? It's amazing to think. But, uh, you know, Lawler and Dundee for years were, were the gimmick kings uh, at, yeah. Miss Guy, at Miss Guy Coffee's table. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, photos were taken by, of course, Jim Cornette. And then I think the fabulous ones overtook them. But I think you were the only one to ever have a poster sold on Memphis Television. Yes, so I, 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 I'm in first place. So I, I am the top selling in the history <laughs> of WMC TV, 1960 Union Avenue. Uh, <laughs> I am the number one poster seller of all time. So we're going to get that on record. Yes, yes. And I think, uh, I think for a while there, my buddies and I, we always said, Jeff Jarrett, the poster. There you go. Yes. And do you know where that was shot at? Oh, my gosh. It looked to be some alleys. <laughs> uh, See, I, I thought you were the king of trivia, and, and we'll oh. get to why it's called Kentucky Fried Wrestling as opposed to Bill Street or Memphis analogy because you're, <laughs> you're Memphis, it's all that, but you got to throw in. And, and Kentucky Fried, it's almost outdated now. Wouldn't you just call it KFC? Or, you know, well, there is okay. no such thing as Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's just KFC. Well, it's KFR, really, because it's Kentucky Fried Wrestling. And actually, that actually, it's funny, because I was writing a column 
for uh, movie director Kevin Smith. He had a pop culture website called Movie Poop Shoot, and and I wrote a column uh, about about your initial TNA show. And the the name of the article was Kentucky Fried Wrestling because to me it sort of had a southern bit to it, and it was trying to offer a little something to everyone. But obviously, I could see the influence of you and your father uh, on the show, and that's what I titled it. And and the following week, Kurt Hennig. Unfortunately, uh, the late, great Kurt Hennig passed away, and they asked me to write a feature uh, about Kurt, and I did. And suddenly there was a masthead that said Kentucky Fried Wrestling, and it became a weekly thing. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I love it. Purely by accident. So you were, you were involved in the name meetup. See, two, two facts that people don't know. Jeff Jarrett, the poster, the best-selling <laughs> poster of all time on Memphis Television, and the fact that you really are the man behind Kentucky Fried Wrestling. I got it. And what, I, what, that, 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 that's got to be at least referenced in the Hall of Fame speech. What do you yeah. say, Scott? <laughs> I can tell you're bursting with pride right now. Uh, <laughs> no, you know what, what's weird is that I'm just sitting here thinking, it's been, I don't know the last time we actually had a, a conversation, but it seems like we just picked up from 25 years ago. This is, uh, this is uh, good, good to hear your voice, and uh, I guess us old Southern boys, and even though you're a transplanted Californian, uh, you you will always be a Tennessean at heart, no matter what you want or say or try to do. Scott, you are a Tennessean. Well, you know, I, I tried shaving my legs even once when I came out here to California. It, it even st- it grew back hairier than ever. So yes, I'm still a Southern man <laughs> through and through. Yep, <laughs> there you go. Um, okay, well, we mentioned the the getting the call from WWE. Uh, on the Hall of Fame deal, and man, uh, where were you when you received the call, and and did you see this coming at all? Did did I see it coming? Absolutely not. Uh, you know, it, it goes without saying. 2017, I had a lot of ups and downs, uh, probably more downs both professionally and personally. Uh, so early 2018, it was a Sunday morning, uh, and I get a text from a high-ranking WWE official um, who will leave nameless at this time. That will be revealed at a later date. Um, but, uh, no, I got a text said, Hey, on a Sunday morning, like I said, can you chat? Uh, and I'm like, sure. And I said, I'll call you in five minutes. Karen was putting on her makeup. Get, we were all getting ready to go to church. And as far for the course on a Sunday morning, it was uh, a little bit chaotic around here on Sunday, but I was already dressed and ready to go. And, and I took the call and, and went up here to my office where I'm sitting now. And it was, uh, uh, I mean, it was a very, uh, the, the question came out a minute after we were on the call and, um, uh, we want you to be in the hall of fame. And, you know, I sat there, Scott, and I said, uh, well, okay, is this like a yes or no, or, or maybe, and my people will get back with your people, <laughs> but no, it was pretty quick. And, and yes, it came out of nowhere. And, you know, it took me uh, a, a couple of days for it to really digest and sink in. And, and yeah, I was shocked. I don't want to uh, underemphasize it or overemphasize it, but I was shocked by the call. Uh, yeah. There's no doubt. Um, and were, were you surprised? Because I, I, I don't think there's been uh, very little or, or any contact at all with Vince uh, since the, the infamous night that you defended the title for the last time for the company, uh, dropping it to China. And we all and there's obviously some controversy regarding the negotiations of that bout. Uh, did you feel like there was still some bad blood there? Well, not, not really, because uh, during the passing of my first wife, the McMahon family had reached out. Uh, I had stayed in contact with Shane over the years. Um, you know, I've seen WWE personnel, obviously, like like we all do in this business. So no, I I, I kind of think it, it's this simple that you know when my contract um, you know expired, 
you know, that was long after March of 2001 when the, the simulcast happened and, and Vince did the infamous firing uh, <laughs> F-I-R-R-E. Uh, but, you know, I had seven or eight, nine months left on my contract. So I, I kind of think that, you know, I went my way and they went their way. And, um, and, and it, that was it. You know, the, the McMahon family is generational promoters, um, you know, fourth generation when you talk about Stephanie. Uh, you know, and, and so, you know, my family is, I'm third generation. So it's, it's, it's in our blood and, and, you know, a lot of thing, a lot of water goes under this bridge and at the end of the day, um, uh, what's best for business is, 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 is usually what happens. Uh, and so that's sort of how I always, I've looked at it. Um, you know, Vince McMahon through the years has a lot, a uh, lot, lot better things to worry about or be pissed off about if you want to drill it right down to it. Right, right. And obviously, you, uh, your father had a close relationship with Vince Sr. for many years and uh, famously told your father that, uh, told uh, Vince that if, uh, if anything ever happens, you know, and you find yourself in trouble when you're running the company, turn to Jerry Jarrett. And obviously he did when uh, he was under investigation by the government for the for steroid distribution. Uh, and your dad went up to New York around the same time that actually that I, I actually broke in. I actually didn't get a chance to work with your dad too much because he was up north uh, working for Vince. Yes, you were. And uh, that was 92, uh, uh, I want to say. Uh, yeah, 93. I, yeah, I sort of. Yeah, I started refereeing a bit in, in 91, 92, and then came back uh, as a referee full-time in 93, and then I turned to heel at the at the hands of Eddie Gilbert, and, which yeah. actually was the match you were involved in with with yeah. with, uh, with Lawler and uh, the Dream Machine, the late, great Troy Graham, and, and the late, great Eddie Gilbert. Uh, that, there you was, go. Yeah, it was a hell of a night. It was uh, surreal. Well, damn, Scott, we, we, we're connected on, on, on a lot more levels. But no, <laughs> I remember because, you know, in, in 90, uh, October 93 is when I went to the WWF. So I knew that, you know, I, you, you were there on Saturday mornings uh, refereeing, correct, uh, in yeah. 92. Yeah, because that's, that, that's my earliest memories, especially as you're jarring my memory. That, that would be my earliest memories uh, of you and then as things. And I can remember watching stuff as I came back home or hearing about it or a little bit of everything. And then the next thing, you know, uh, you're, you're this loud mouth trash talking heel manager. So <laughs> isn't it funny how our uh, business, uh, how it, how it goes. Yes. And, and Lawler says, well, it was a natural because nobody liked you in the dressing room. So we figured we'd put you in front of a camera and the people wouldn't like you either. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Jim Cornette, I can remember in the summers when I was, you know, 12, 13 years when I was real young, going up to Louisville and Evansville and, and seeing Jimmy and him taking pictures and the fabs were red hot right during that era. And then, uh, you know, it, it seemed like overnight, but it was probably the next year. Uh, you see Cornette go out there and he's got his little rubber ducky and, 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 you know, talking about mama and yep. sort of surreal. Uh, but, uh, no, that's, uh, that was that beauty of live television on Memphis, uh, every Saturday morning. You really, you really didn't know what was going to happen. And, and, yeah. and, and the people in that small studio, they knew that too. Uh, and even Lance and Dave knew that, uh, all right, we're going to walk through this curtain and sit behind the desk. And we have an idea that we think we sort of know what's going to happen, but they didn't. And, and yeah. nobody did. It, it always, uh, a lot of fun Memphis TV. 
Oh my gosh. And, and yeah, there was a format, but that format was usually created and finalized about 10 minutes before we went on the air. And so <laughs> it really did give it that sense of, of danger and excitement because, you know, even we didn't know. It, there, Lawler several times would call an audible and say, hey, go out there and do this or that. And uh, it, I think the fans got a sense of that. Yes. Well, I, I, I definitely think that obviously Lawler is, is probably, you know, just, just the, 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 the setup and, and how things went down in the, in the Mid-South Coliseum. And now we're getting into the, you know, late 70s, um, Lawler being, the, you know, just the charismatic heel uh, that was dominant. Um, and then uh, a real-life set of circumstances happened and breaks the leg and, and just uh, everything that went into it. And um, I think Monday night during that era that, you know, it, it's obviously a completely different era, but – you know, you TV was live on Saturday morning, uh, you know, you know, and then people have the weekends and it's, it, it, you know, ball games and no matter what season it is, you see, then you got Sunday and church and everything that went to, but Monday folks went back to work and the work week started and wrestling was still fresh on their mind. There was a lot of intangibles that go into, cause obviously you, well, you do a podcast, but you know, I've been asked a lot over the years, what, what were, you know, why, why, why was it so successful for so long? And I really think that, that a lot of it was obviously 90 minutes of live television and a half hour of that 30 of that 90 was, was devoted strictly to Memphis. Um, and everything that went with it, customized, personalized live interviews and everything that went with it. But then, like I said, the intangibles that you're, you know, Saturday to Mondays, two days away. Um, just all, 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 like I said, j- just how it was set up really lends itself to uh, big box office and consistent box office. Yes, yes. And I think that that's a tip of the hat to, to not only Lawler, but also your dad and his very detailed approach to laying out the shows, developing, I guess you would say characters now, but uh, developing performers. Uh, you know, everything he did, we, we asked him to break down the uh, the crowning of the king and what led up to uh, challenging Jack Briscoe, uh, the quest for the title, and the way he systematically lined up all these top contenders. But even before that, the, the fact that he sent Lawler to Alabama to work alongside veterans like Sam Bass and Jim White to bring him along slowly. He saw the raw potential there, but it was all by design, Jeff. And I think that that, again, is, is uh, your dad calls it a Shakespearean play that played out each week. And I think that's the best compliment that, that you can, that you can give the, 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 the Memphis program. Yeah. And, and I, and I think the, 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 him being the heel and the dominant heel and, and, you know, um, uh, this, and I would say just Memphis, but, you know, tag team wrestling was obviously a, a mainstay here. Not, you know, not that it wasn't around the country, but here as well. And I think Jim White was the perfect partner and Sam Bass was the perfect manager. It, it, they were really complimentary um, to, uh, to, 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 to Jerry. Um, and obviously, you know, he took it and ran with it and, and people you know, to this day, it's hard, you know, a professional wrestler in a town that has his own Sunday afternoon show uh, that, you know, that was basically just a Jerry Lawler and friends interview and, and that kind of stuff, just how successful uh, the setup was. 
Yeah, and the, the cultural impact that that show had, you know, being the highest rated show in the in the city at one point, including primetime, and then uh, and then had a tremendous run as the number three program right behind Dallas and Dynasty, two of the high, highest rated primetime soap operas uh, in you know not only the city but also the country is 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 just remarkable. Uh, now, but let's go let's go back to to March first, nineteen eighty six. We talk about great Memphis television. Uh, this is one of the greatest TV angles ever. Uh, because it led to the last sellout at the Coliseum. Now, at that time, I don't have to tell you, uh, Vince McMahon was starting to make inroads a bit in Memphis. Uh, he started promoting cards there as early as late 84 and in 85. They weren't drawing that well. And then suddenly he realized he needed to really load up the cards. And so they were starting to make some headway there. Uh, I believe uh, talks had broken off with Crockett about working together. Crockett would start promoting there by year's end. Uh, a lot of people thought the days of Memphis selling out the Coliseum were over. Uh, Jerry Lawler was on hiatus. He had dropped a loser leave town match to build Dundee on December 30th, 85. And they, I guess with their, with their backs against the wall, they shoot this incredible TV angle uh, with you as a referee uh, in a match involving the heels from hell, Buddy Landell and Bill Dundee against Jim, poor old Jim Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and David and, and David Johnson and David Johnson they and, were a formidable tag team that yes, uh, they're, yes. They're, you know they were the Washington Generals of Memphis TV. <laughs> well, Mr. Johnson, I understand got got a receipt for some of his fly, high flying tactics that he tried to pull off uh, early on in the bout before they grounded him. Uh, with a well-applied shot to his uh, below the midsection, let's say. But uh, at, at any rate, uh, what what are your memories of of that day? Uh, I'm sure in a way you had been preparing for that moment your entire life uh, watching it, uh, but I'm sure you had to be incredibly nervous. Uh, what are well, your thoughts and, on that? Uh, the whole thing, you know, and man, I appreciate you filling those dates in. I didn't realize it was that early. It was March. Um, yeah. That, that, that really, well, because I was playing junior college basketball and the season was still going. Okay. Um, and, and, and my coach and team didn't know this was going to take place. Um, we sort of looked at the schedule and I don't think I was too concerned. I know my dad and Lawler had a lot bigger things on their mind other than looking at my basketball schedule. But, but they, um, you know, I'd refereed the prior summer. Uh, and refereed quite a bit, uh, you know, going into a- after my senior year of high school, uh, refereed quite a bit and knew that I was looking forward to refereeing coming up the, the following summer because my plans were uh, to play two years of college ball at a junior college and then go on and, and finish out and, and at some four-year school. That was my plans. It was set in stone. And that's, you know, even, and we'll get into that, even after we shot the angle, that was still my plans. Uh, but um uh, Obviously, we took a hard left and, and didn't turn around and go back. But, uh, no, I can remember um, that, that uh, we were that they were talking about it and say, hey, we're going to go down, we're going to do this, da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, huh? Um, so, no, I was not per se anywhere close to being prepared uh, for <laughs> this situation at all. I, you know, I went down, I was going to referee on TV, and they were going to beat me up. Uh, and that's it. You know, and I'm like, all right, well, this is going to be interesting. And uh, I remember, you know, um, old man and, and, and especially Eddie uh, saying, swing for the fences. Just swing for the fences. I'm like, what in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, uh, obviously Landale and Dundee, uh, you know, they knew what they were doing. 
Um, and um, it just, again, that was something that, you know, if that angle was done today with someone um, with my level of experience uh, and just a set of circumstances, I can assure you that thing would have been rehearsed, would be rehearsed 15,000 different ways, talked about, overanalyzed, overanalyzed, and then overanalyzed. And in this circumstances, it just goes back to the era. It, it was it was roughly designed uh, and laid out, and <laughs> you know there are no retakes, and there are no let me think this thing through. And you did it, and roll the dice, and and everything. I hate to use the word organic, but but is if you can come up with something better. But it just it just rolled out like that, and um, you know Dutch's role in it. Um, I, you know, I don't know if you follow me on Instagram, but I'll, I, at Real Jeff Jarrett, I'll get my cheek bit fully plugged in. <laughs> uh, but at, at at Real Jeff Jarrett on Instagram, I'm ca- I'm captivating, uh, c- capturing each year of my career. But I did that, that that those pictures, and you know, when when Dutch and Eddie Marlin and Lance and Dave and Lance getting up from the desk and all the little nuances that went into that, um, it it just felt, you know, as I watched it back today or, or, or that, it, you know, and I've had so many people over the years uh, come up and comment on that, Scott, that, that definitely didn't see it in Memphis and weren't even from this area and don't really have a clue, uh, you know, of, 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 of like, like me and you do of Jim Jameson and David Johnson and Lance Russell and Dave Brown. And, you know, when you really look at it, I was a fish out of water to begin with refereeing. Uh, you know, why did Jerry Calhoun take off this, this match, you know, just all the things that went to it, but it clicked it, it without question completely clicked. Um, and it was, uh, you know, just the, the hundred people or however many people in that studio, uh, it plays back on audio today. You can hear that, you know, they were really into that. Uh, and, and, you know, just the little things Dutch carried me out. Uh, you know, for the for the time, for the moment, that was a little subtly that I've always thought added to it. Yeah, but yeah, uh, and, yeah. And, I don't, and, I, and I don't know if you remember, Dutch was covered in shampoo because he had been in the shower. You know, of course I, he was in the shower. Yes, yeah. You talk about the <laughs> you talk about the little nuances, like how come he didn't make the save sooner? Well, he was, you know, and he's got a lot of hair to wash, as we all know. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> So he was, I mean, he was, he was distracted. Couldn't make the save. Uh, we talk about Lance Russell and Dave Brown. I mean, my gosh, two of the greatest commentators of all time, each bringing something a little different to the table there. Uh, Lance, of course, uh, gets excited, which is not too out of the norm. That that's happened in, in the past a couple of times. Uh, but Dave Brown raises his voice, which is very, you know, he goes, Hey, come on, which yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for Dave Brown to do that was astounding. Uh, because yeah. Dave, was always, Dave was always the one who was a little bit more even keeled. When Lance would get a little excited, Dave would kind of be the one to bring it back down, you know. Um, and and that's when. And, and, and sorry to interrupt, but you know, I told this story the other day. When you're talking about Dave Brown, you know, I was I was telling the guy, and what's weird is uh, when I do cardio at the gym, there, there's some different folks there that are wrestling fans. But anyway, the guy was picking my brain about it, and and it's uh, specifically about this, obviously because I posted it. Uh, but I said, if you can imagine Al Roker being a commentator at on a wrestling show on NBC on a nationwide thing, and he gets upset, it's just it, that's Dave Brown. He is the number one weatherman in in you know a top personality, completely outside of wrestling. He's on NBC, the top weatherman, 
although, you know, back in those days, six o'clock, 10 o'clock, I don't even know if they had a five o'clock news back then, but six and 10, you saw days, you know, seven, you know, six days a week, five days a week. And so that's the context again, that goes into the weatherman gets upset because the promoter's son just got beat up. It, it just, it takes on a completely different complexion uh, to your store, you know, average ordinary situation. And then you throw in there, my dad's legitimate eye situation and, and, you know, he, he, he did have a bad eye and, and, yeah. and you go with that. And, 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 and I'm not even, you know, and you know, this as well as anybody, certainly this day and age, the history between Lawler and Dundee, you know, shaving Beverly's hair, shaving, yeah. you know, all the, just, it's just the, the, the rivalry. It, it is the Lakers Celtics. It is the Red Sox and Yankees. So you put that in, in, in the context of this situation, um, and by that time, there were people that, that knew that Lawler had been around at this point a long time, local Memphis boy, Treadwell High School, um, you know, Memphis State uh, comes on. He's the king of Memphis. And, and they know that he, you know, they didn't exactly know, but they knew he had points or ownership or something to the effect of, 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 of you know, of ownership. And he says on the call in, I'm coming back. Then all of a sudden you go, oh, wow. Now, these other two matches, they were phony or scripted. This is real. Lawler's coming back. You know, yeah. it's that type mentality that, boom, uh, box office. Yeah. Yeah. I, had, I, had, I, had, I remember some of my friends calling me. I was, I was a freshman in high school, and a lot of my friends called me saying, oh, wow. saying, saying, I don't know what else is going on in that show. You know better than I, but that, that's, that, that stuff is real. <laughs> like what just happened is real and i'm like well i don't know uh because you know, I, I thought i was really smart at that point jeff I, I just started getting the wrestling observer newsletter and uh you know i thought i thought i knew it all uh when it came to memphis wrestling but i did not see this coming and like you said the fact that it was so rough and not rehearsed and and i love the way that there's a little and again like a little detail when you start fighting back and you are you're swinging for the you're flailing like wildly at these guys which a yeah. young guy which a young guy would do you know, he, you know, you're just kind of forging your way ahead and you don't know where those punches are landed. I could, I always could see Dundee going, Hey, damn, whoa, whoa. Uh, yep. the whole thing is just it, from, from beginning to end is, is just a beautiful example of it epitomizes what the Memphis wrestling booking philosophy, which my understanding, talking to your dad for so many years, uh, personal issues draw money and it doesn't get any more personal than this angle. Uh, they attack, of course, your dad, you mentioned, uh, going after his good eye, uh, and then, your dad breaks down and Lance kind of kind of, kind of catches Jerry and says, okay, Jerry, let's just go to the back. And Dave takes over the show. That was a, a, a tremendously dramatic moment. And then you, that brings out Eddie Marlin and Eddie has been fired up before, but never quite like this. His voice is quivering, Jeff. It's like, almost like he got caught up in the moment. He goes, that's my grandson, you know? And I think we, we at all, we all watching at home, all, uh, you know, 300,000 of us were, were captivated by it. Again, relatable. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's hard to relate to, to some things that you see. Um, and But, you know, you take Game of Thrones this day and age and you can get caught up in it or The Walking Dead or, or any of that. But, you know, a good sporting event or, or, you know, MMA or boxing or football, but whatever, sporting events, you know, everybody can relate to winning and losing. Uh, but, again, when you tie in – uh, a family, you know, there's, there's, there's certainly a lot of mothers out there, uh, that would say, um, you, you can slap me in the face. Matter of fact, you, you, if you won't, you, you, you might spit on my husband, 
but don't you dare touch my kids. And, and, you know, so, so, so a housewife sitting at home can relate to that. A father, an uncle, certainly a grandfather can, can all relate to, look, you can do a lot of things in this world. Don't touch my kid. And kid is the key. I was, I was 17, 18 years old, look, maybe 15, you know, the, 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 the kid aspect to me is, is another one of those things that was real. They, they, they knew Landell and Dundee are grown men. Uh, so how tough is it to, to, you know, it's like beating up a woman. How tough are you really when he yeah. gets right down to it and, 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 and Dundee with his arrogance, I, you know, I, I loved it when, when, when Lawler and Dundee's series of matches, but when, when, when Bill played the arrogant and I don't want to call him heel, just played the arrogant side of things. He was so easy to hate. I mean, yeah. really easy to hate. And, and that was a part of it. You know, buddy is buddy. And, and, you know, to me, he was just a big bully that fell in line, but Bill, people wanted to kill him, you know, yeah. cause they, 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 they're like, you just knocked that kid out. And I heard it, you know, not, not that day, not that morning, but you know, I heard it the, the weeks afterwards. And to this day, people will come up and they'll sort of say, yeah, that, I remember when Dundee pulled, snatched you up and punched you. They, yeah. they specifically remember that. And that, that was, again, we're getting back to subtleties and stuff like that, but, the real arrogant factor of one punch can go a long way. You know, and we talk about, uh, we talk about personal issues that people can relate to. Uh, of course, you did make your debut uh, later that year in 86, and uh, they brought you along rather slowly at first. You had a couple of matches with uh, Tony Falk, the pride of Paducah, Kentucky. Um, <laughs> and then, and then uh, you and Pat Tanaka. And, and again, loser Tony. Loser Tony. That was a whole, yeah. <laughs> a, 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 another run on... You know, the people will really, when we had my, I had my first match, April 6th of 86. Um, but in that first match, when I think back on the psychology and not long ago, me and Dutch talked about it. Um, the, the psychology of that match was not for me to win. All I had to do is not lose. Um, and, and, and that's a whole different twist on psychology in a wrestling match. They were cheering for me not to get beat. Uh, and so they jumped for joy when the 10 minute time limit was up. So, uh, Tony fall and the reason being that Tony's on a losing streak. Uh, he's loser, Tony, he was going to get his first win. He was going to break his losing streak. And we went to a 10 minute draw, 10 minute draw. So there was no winner. So we, you know, I won and he lost by, by, by the set of circumstances. Again, a simple, simple story, but so relatable. Uh, yeah. so anyway, I cut you off, Scott, but no, yeah, no, you're, but you're getting in. But also a nice touch because they they didn't put you over in your first match, which I think would have been a disaster. You know, uh, had yeah. you come right, right out of the gate and and started beating veterans. Uh, so I think that was a great little touch. You didn't win the match; you survived it. But the fact that you yeah. were a kid in his first match that 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 made you strong, but it didn't hurt Tony too bad. No, well, it played. It kept. It you know, it kept his persona intact. Yeah. It literally kept his his thing going. And it added it added another level to it that that yeah. here he here he is he still didn't win and, he, and he's facing the guy who's never had a match so it played off of it well it really yeah. did yeah uh, but they they thrust you in your first feud you and Pat Tanaka uh, who f- were starting to form a really great team uh, feud with Akio Sato and Tarzan Goto and Tojo they're managed by Tojo Yamamoto who had been teaming with you he had been a babyface of course Tojo. 
turned with the wind, you know, <laughs> and, oh, and, of course. And, and, you know, it was sort of like, you know, for a lot of longtime fans, it brought back memories of Tojo teaming with your father. And then he turns on you and there's like yellow paint being brought out. Uh, Lance Russell picks up the hammer that rings the bell at ringside and it threatens to go after Tojo. Uh, Eddie Marlin comes out. Uh, it's it's well, you couldn't ask for a, for a better start to a feud. Uh, did you feel like you were you were ready for for a main event level feud at that point? And, uh, and no. what were your memories of working no. with Tojo? Well, to- Tojo was uh, great, and and his whole deal, and he would tell you this uh, over and over and over. He 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 did not care about transferring any basic wrestling, mat wrestling, chain wrestling, high spot, none of that. He was all about selling. Um, and, and he made a career off that, uh, whether he chopped somebody or got chopped. Um, his was all facials. He was a, he was the first guy that really drilled in me. Uh, and he would, he would talk about it till you got sick of hearing him talk about it, but it's all, you know, the money's in the face, the money's in the face, the money's in your facials. I mean, uh, sell, sell, sell that, you know, so I remember that and I remember it finally and, and, and all of that. But when we, um, I met Sato, Akil Sato, um, literally from day one, he was, you know, uh, and you may have the statisticians, I think it's either 14, 16 or 18 consecutive weeks, uh, that, that I wrestled him around the loop. So that's five, six, seven times a week, you know, minimum four times. Um, you know, matches, not in a, a workout facility in front of a crowd. That was, that was what I really considered my college education in, in professional wrestling that, that I, you know, it's, it's not in a gym. It's not going through moves, any of that, which would be, you know, elementary or middle school or high school. It was real wrestling. So, uh, you know, I got my internship, however you want to, you know, uh, categorize it, but no, with, with, with Tojo sitting at ringside, literally being the manager, getting to watch me sell every night. So I'd come through the curtain and get critiqued on my selling and Sato would critique on anything else, you know, as far as the mechanics of the match that, that I remember and will always remember. And I have had a chance to thank Sato several years ago on how important that was for me in my development, because he made you do it right. I mean, literally made you do it right. So um, that was good. But no, I wasn't anywhere close to ready for it. But again, Pat, uh, you know, was seasoned, knew what he was doing. Um, we made a good, simple, uh, again, we weren't, uh, we'll probably get into talking about Billy Travis, but I was talking about him the other day. But, you know, um, it wasn't when you look at, you know, tag teams, whether it be, uh I don't know, Rock and Roll Express or, or or the Fabs, whatever. Me and Pat, when you set it side by side, we were completely two looking, different looking individuals. I was a young kid, and he was the 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 Asian or Hawaiian uh, guy that that had a lot of fire. Uh, so um, it, it was a, it was a good setup. It was a, it, it just it was a natural deal, but it all kicked off on the uh, coward. Uh, with the yellow paint and, uh, <laughs> that all worked. Uh, cause I, 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 if I, if I remember correctly, I'm the one, he brought it out there on Memphis TV and the whole world knew that I was going to get yellow paint, uh, all over me and do that. And we flipped it and I got Tojo <laughs> with the yellow paint, but then I got the hell beat out of me. So it, it all, yeah. 
worked. And, and, and again, when Tojo was whacking that stick, uh, people didn't have to guess if that hurt or not. It was, it is what it is. It yeah. Hurt. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that really helped you as far as like, I'm just saying for, for, as far as my, my guy friends and I, you know, we were diehard fans and we saw you take that beating and you came back and you know we were able to, to, kind of get over the fact that you were the promoter's son at that point, which I'm sure had to be a big obstacle in front of you uh, when you made your debut, especially kind of on the fly. You know, you were not planning to debut so quickly. Uh, was there a lot, well, a lot, a lot of inherent pressure uh, as far as being the son of Jerry Jarrett and probably having the obvious comparisons to perhaps George Goulas, who was the catalyst for your dad's split with, with, uh, with Nick so many years ago. There, there it was, it, see, I didn't, uh, maybe thankfully or not thankfully, I'm not real sure. Um, I, I wasn't completely aware of the, 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 the Gula situation, but I was very, very aware and very in tune and, and always was very conscious of, uh, however you want to say it, the boss's kid or, or the promoter's son or whatever it was. So I, from an early age and, you know, even when, on a basketball team. I always wanted to be the hardest worker. I wanted to hustle the most. I, I, that was just sort of in my nature. So you compound that getting into the wrestling industry. Um, I didn't, I, I was petrified uh, of that reputation of handouts. You know, obviously I'm still going to get criticized by that uh, at that age, but I came to know that, you know, I'm going to work as hard or harder than anybody and people are going to form their opinion no matter what. And that, that is what happened. But, yes, I was very aware of it. Uh, I can remember in Dallas, Texas. And uh, if, if, have you ever had Phil Hickerson on your show, Scott? Not yet. We want, we want to, though, because I understand he just retired from I, his I, radio job. Great, great storyteller. But, but he was PY2I of the Sportatorium. <laughs> and right. uh, my dad was producing the television and we did a, a thing uh, again with the strap and um, Phil was told that my old man would send uh, the uh, uh, baby faces to come save me, but only uh, when he was ready. And Phil leaned down after, I don't know how many strappings. And he said, your old man is going to fire me if I don't keep whipping you. So I apologize, but here comes another one. And then here comes another one. And he's like, Jesus, Jesus. And uh, he whipped me so many times in Dallas that Phil literally blew himself up that he was so exhausted. And uh, he, he, he's a great storyteller. He, 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 he might tell you that story one day. But, uh, no, we were – me and my father were definitely well aware of it, um, very conscious of it, uh, knowing that not only, you know, the fans – which are, 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 are just as important as, as your coworkers and your peers, uh, that people would, would, could, could easily, especially with the history uh, of the Gula situation, could easily, you know, quote unquote, jump on that bandwagon. So uh, we did everything, and I certainly did everything in my power not to, um, you know, not, not, not to let that uh, interfere with things. So uh, that, that morning when Tojo was whacking me was one of the first experiences of, okay, I'm taking this ass whooping whether I like it or not, and, and I better get ready because well, it's going to last a while. 
Yeah, and, and I think, Jeff, I think we, the fans, picked up on that, too, that very quickly we realized uh, after a couple of years, I think by, by certainly by 88, by the feud, by the time you were feuding with Robert Fuller and you had, uh, supposedly you had your wrist broken and you were working in the cast, uh, I think that really helped get you over uh, even more so, with especially with the guy fans. I think that was the hardest demographic that you had to win over at that point. Oh, I think gosh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I remember like, uh, I think by that point you had really earned your spot. And I think that's, that's a credit to you. I think we picked up on the fact that, Hey, yes, Jerry Jarrett may be his father, but he's got the work ethic of his father, you know, and he's got that same grit and determination yeah. that made his father successful. And I think, I think that that's what we finally realized when, you know, watching you under a micro microscope, uh, for, for two or three years. Uh, and by, by, then, by 88, you were really tearing it up. Fuller commented on that early uh, when we got together, and uh, and he had because Robert, uh, Robert, and and my father, they were friends, um, and and worked together and knew each other in the seventies and all that. And then you fast forward fifteen years later, and my dad obviously was retired from wrestling, and Robert was basically on the tail end of his in-ring career. Uh, so Robert didn't like. The kid getting hit by the kendo stick. Matter of fact, he said, I think it's best if we just leave it back here. That way I don't have to hit anybody and nobody can hit me. But uh, Robert, uh, on several occasions, would have a conversation with the old man and say, look, just lighten up on the kid. Enough's enough. And, you know, my dad would go the other way, just the fact that Robert. But, you know, Robert, you know, we would have those conversations riding up down the road. He was a promoter's kid. Um, he knew it. His family and his cousin Jimmy and 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 I can remember that whole uh, angle storyline feud. Uh, just how when they came in and 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 Robert and Jimmy and um, oh uh, Robert's wife Sylvia uh, with the kendo stick and and how that all came about and and that was a hot angle that 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 got really going and and obviously it's Robert's mouth. Robert could talk. He could talk him in, and he would do some really crafty things. I thought that he would say in the promo that it, in essence, it was, it was getting me over, but I think Robert, uh, I respected the heck out of Robert because in those days, uh, I, you know, uh, to, to really cut a, a, a really strong, uh, Memphis TV promo was not my strong suit. Not sure it ever became my real strong suit, but in Memphis, but, but Robert was so good at it. Uh, so I respected the hell out of him. But Robert was, I, I know, and he, and he would tell me, he would tell me how much he respected how hard I would work uh, seven nights a week to get it done. And I, I, you know, get the heat on me. I want to do this. I want to do that. I would always go the extra mile. But that was part of, I don't know, call it my basketball training, maybe my athletic training. But no, that was, uh, uh, when I posted that picture the other day on Instagram, it was definitely some fond memories. And that was when me and Robert teamed up. But man, it started off as, uh, uh, you know, uh, we were facing each other and I learned a lot from Robert psychologically wise, uh, uh, in, in the business for him. Again, going back to the Tojo, Robert knew how to get, uh, the, the, the money draw, the money drawing part of a promo, Robert really had a gift for it. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I, I think that early education by, by these established veterans uh, clearly paid off. Uh, you went on to have uh, you know, a tremendous career in Memphis. You went as far as you could go. Uh, and in 91, I believe, at the end of, toward the end of 91, you and your dad show up at the WWF event at the Pyramid. I, I think I was there that night. I actually walked down to talk to you and your dad afterward. And I recall being just absolutely stunned. I had no idea 
that uh, that that was going to happen. As smart as I thought that I was, uh, you challenging, I believe, Bret Hart to a, to an Intercontinental title match. And obviously that was the start of a working relationship between uh, WWE and the USWA and, uh, and led to you going up there. Uh, but, uh, man, I, I would love to talk to you more. I know you've got a lot of, uh, a lot of interviews to do with your upcoming induction to the hall of fame, but I just wanted to get you on really quickly on Kentucky fried wrestling to say congratulations. All of us who have watched you since the very beginning, I think are, are really proud of, uh, of the wrestler you've become. Scott, I just looked at my timer. Boy, time flies. I'm going to make you, uh, a, a, an offer or a promise when we get out of quote unquote hall of fame season, I'd love to come back on and. And we can go through it because, man, we're just getting into some good stuff. I know. Uh, no, I there, know. There, there, there's a lot of good stuff. No, I do. I appreciate you having me on. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to come back in the next – whenever you will have me, if you will have me. But, no, a lot of fun. And, and as you are well aware, probably as well as anybody, especially in the podcast world, uh, those first seven years of my career uh, was really the foundation. And um, – just, uh, I won't get into a story, but just a quick comment that, you know, for those seven years that everybody saw me, you know, I was, I was the baby face, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, and, 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 and a lot of people think my career started or, you know, you know, back in those days is that I appeared on the scene as double J the heel. And it was such a drastic difference. So, um, no, those first seven years in Tennessee, obviously were the foundation for my career. And, uh, I remember it, uh, a lot of great memories of uh, uh, of Memphis TV and, and everything that went with it. So I do appreciate you having me on. And, and, and again, thanks for the support. Yeah, man. Uh, we, and absolutely. We'd love to have you on. I do want to ask you more about, about your great uh, tag matches with, with uh, Billy Travis as a partner, who I think I love Billy to death. I got the chance to work with Billy and a lot of other Memphis stars uh, uh, that, uh, that you worked with along the way. We, we could talk Brian Christopher. We can talk <laughs> early days of, of PG-13. We can talk about the, the, the moon dogs that we absolutely. didn't even touch on. Me yeah. and Lawler, Travis, uh, Eddie Gilbert. Yeah. Boy, you left a lot out. I thought well, you were a good interview. I'm kidding, Scott. I'd keep you on here for the next hour if I could, but I, I know you got to get going. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I would love I would love to have you back on because again, we, we you're right. We've only we've just scratched the surface of uh, of your career in Memphis, and yeah, I would love to talk to you, especially about the, the man the incredible rivalry of seeing. Uh, Jerry Jarrett's son and Brian Lawler, who was so much like a young Jerry Lawler, and it was like history yep. all over again with with your with you and with your dad feuding with uh, with Jerry Lawler. Uh, it was yep. just incredible stuff, and I want to talk to you more about that. But we'll let you go. And uh, congratulations again, 2018 Hall of Fame Jeff Jarrett, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Scott. And we want to thank Jeff Jarrett for taking the time to speak with us during this busy WrestleMania season. And once again, congratulations to Jeff. Uh, I think he proved a lot of us not-nosed punks wrong about him when we used to give Jeff a really hard time when he started. But slowly but surely, he worked really hard to earn our respect. And uh, in my opinion, he's certainly worthy of joining the WWE's Hall of Fame. I must admit, Scott, I had no idea you had become such a big Jeff Jarrett fan. I'm wondering, did you have one of those posters that we advertised earlier? Hey, in the hey, hey. Right hey. on your wall? Hey, I Above your to, bed? Hey, 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 let's cut, hey, let's cut the tape there. <laughs> oh, no, no, I did not. Okay. My sister, my sister had one, but I, did, I never went near it. All right, folks. Well, <laughs> I think that about wraps this show up. I'll be back next week on Kentucky Fried Wrestling. I'm not sure if Brian will be. <laughs>
For Brian Last, this is Scott Bowden saying thank you, everyone. You can follow me on Twitter at Trav Scott Bowden. You can find me on Facebook at Kentucky Fried Wrestling. And uh, here's this uh, slumlord here to tell you everything that he's got coming up. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcast. And of course, Kentucky Fried Wrestling is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We'll see you next week. Come here, you dogs. The announcers on this program are selected and paid by parties other than this station, namely the promoters of championship wrestling. <laughs>